Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor in Focus podcast. We're fast approaching the end of the tax year. The tax burden is at its highest in 70 years. And from next month, people's finances are further squeezed by higher rates of national insurance, higher energy bills, and a stubbornly high inflation rate. So what do advisors make of all this? What are the tips and tricks for some last-minute savings? And what does every advisor need to know about the tax year end? With me here to discuss this today are Paul Stocks, IFA at Continuum, Helen Howcroft, Managing Director at Equanimity, and Martin Bamford, a Chartered Financial Planner and Director of Client Education at Informed Choice. Welcome all. Hello. Hi, Karen. Um, Paul, let's start with you. Um, what does March mean for you? What's your focus on? <clears throat> Do you expect business to boom? Uh, I mean, I'm lucky. A lot of my clients have been with me for a number of years. Um, so in the nicest way, I've got them prepped and into shape. So most of my tax year planning is done in, in April at the start of the year. Um, but yeah, I try and keep a bit of March clear just for people who who last minute come up with things that you weren't expecting um and there's a case at the minute i'm working on where it's uh, a gentleman who's who's taking redundancy and we're looking to do a lot of work around the tax year end for him uh, but generally it's, it's quite plain sailing because it's all planned in advance um helen how about you what's a typical march look like for you yeah, I was going to say ours is probably slightly different to a large proportion of our client bank business owners and their business year end is the end of March. So we have a bit of a double whammy at this time of year that like Paul, we've had clients for a very long time and most of them are very well behaved and do what they're meant to do early on in the tax year. But you get those who leave everything to the last minute and then we've got the business owners. So there's a lot of PIP calcs being done at the moment and getting bonuses and things put into pensions. So yeah, this is this is what we call the silly season, the last two weeks of Feb, all of March. It's all hands to the deck. Right. Okay. Um Martin, I know you're not you're not practicing anymore as a financial advisor, are you? No, but, I'm, uh, no, no. so I'm a, a non non practicing chartered financial planner, but still a director of a firm of yeah, a very busy firm of chartered financial planners. And I think I spliced it somewhere in between Paul and Helen's comments there. So March is a very very busy period of time for us, despite best intentions, despite training and trying to educate our clients to get things done early. There's always that small minority that leave things to the last minute, and we really have to sort of crack the whip and get things done in time. Um, but for us, yeah, March is very busy in terms of admin and paperwork and getting things processed and then the other really busy time of year for us is the new year because people start january and again have wonderful resolutions to sort out their finances and that's when we get a big influx of new clients through the door but yeah march is all about paperwork right okay interesting i mean in terms of product areas are there any you're looking at in particular i mean some some advisors have told me in the past that they're looking at um optimizing capital gains tax and portfolios, these kind of things. Is there any particular product area you would be expecting to focus on during March, Um, Helen? Yeah, well, I was going to say, obviously, um, if we have a maximised ISAs and pensions from free capital, then we're going to be utilising um, general investment accounts, GIAs, and maximising CGT planning with moving assets from a tax environment into a non-tax environment. 
Um, also, you'd be looking at EISs at this time of tax year, because if we have got clients who are making large capital gains, looking at how we can minimise those tax liabilities, so look and see what we can do with regard to those is really important for this time of year. But generally, the, used to be, you'd be doing VCTs at this time, time of year, but we're generally finding they're opening earlier and earlier in the tax year and you know we were doing all the VCT planning type work back in September October time so because actually investing into VCTs now there's not that many available so it's predominantly CGTs we're going to be what we're focusing on. All right is that the same for you Paul? I mean you said you haven't got that much on you're all sorted but um yeah yeah I mean pretty much same and like I say I think I'm a little bit lucky because most of mine are existing clients so certainly bed and ices are done early in the year unless there's a reason not to um, um and again this is a nice time of year if you do get an inquiry where because you can straddle two tax years um, but it all comes down to the client's tax position but certainly uh, cgt's is often that allowance often on the use so those with gias it's a great time to to make sure you've you've, you've sort of tried to use that way we can um but it's just it's just good habit forming use your allowances or you lose them bit of a cliche but um so isas gias pensions uh, making sure we try and make all the tax efficiencies that we can for clients I, I do think it depends on what your client bank looks like will determine as well with how busy you are because we're generally dealing with accumulators. We haven't got that many clients who are already retired, which is why we are particularly busy because we're dealing with those people who have been paid their large bonuses and partnership profits and things like that from their firms. So that really is the reason why we would be particularly that much more busier than someone who's dealing with a very mature client bank with the clients that you can do their ISAs and things well in the early on in the tax year. All right, I see. Yeah, is that is that? Do you agree with that, Martin? Is that you? You do you have the same experience? Yeah, I'd say similar experience. I mean, it, it is about the makeup of the client bank. We you know, mostly deal with decumulators, so retired clients, and the ones I won't call them troublemakers, but the ones that cause us the most issue this time of year do tend to be the wealth accumulators, particularly the business owners with that March end of business uh, company year. Uh, they're the ones that are all of a sudden on the phone in the last sort of week of the tax year, saying, "Can we put in a big pension contribution or do the following?" And those are ones that give us the sort of the headache at this time of year. Right. I mean, let's talk a little bit about um, headaches and when things go wrong. I'm sure all of you have had, um, you know, have good anecdotes to share. But um, what are the sort of things that tend to go wrong? The sort of things you would, I mean, if you were giving an, an, one of a fellow advisors or a young advisor some tips on what to watch out for, what what would it be in that in that last month of the of the tax year, uh, Martin? I mean, it, it's often the biggest things to go wrong around now are checks going missing um, or in, in the more modern world we're in now, uh, backs payments going missing. So, yeah, making sure the admin team are matching up payment expectations with, you know, applications. Um, I, whilst, you know, we know when the end of a tax year is and this year we're lucky it doesn't fall during Easter weekend as it has done in some previous years and that it brings it forward a little bit in practical terms. We have a bit of an internal deadline so we, you know, we'd say internally we want everything done and dusted by about the 11th of March, the Friday of the 11th of March and actually this year for the first time we've taken a step of 10 
telling our clients that you know the deadline is not the deadline because so many of them for the past two years now have been you know educated that the self-assessment deadline has been pushed back a month and that doesn't apply and then Paul said earlier we have these use it or lose it allowances in some cases so yeah we want them in early there is really no excuse for leaving things to the last minute particularly now we can make online payments and do digital signatures and stuff I mean, do you get, Martin, staying with you, do you get clients, that, do you get new clients coming in during that month? Some people looking for last minute, you know, finding last minute savings. Is that something that advisors deal with as well? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. They, they think that, yeah, they can come in and we can construct a comprehensive financial plan and investment portfolio in a day or two. Uh, and, and the reality is that's just not possible, particularly if they have lots of existing products and we need to go off to the product providers and get less authority to gather information. Um, it, it can take months, months and months in some cases to pull in all the data we need to formulate a comprehensive financial plan. We've taken the step at the moment. We're, we're an established business. We've been going now for you know 27 years, but we've taken a step of not accepting new clients until I think we're saying the first of May. So you know, almost put a bit of a you know a, a pause on new clients coming through the door. Get lots of inquiries, but we want to in first and foremost give the best possible service to our existing clients who have been with us for a long time. But yeah, people do think that we can work miracles and make things happen overnight. It's just not the case. But Helen, is is that your experience as well? Yeah, absolutely. And I think coming back to what we were talking about is actually having a plan of attack for the whole of the 12 month period is really important because we will be doing our as many of the bed and ices as we can early on in the tax year. We'll be doing as many of the ICA contributions if we know that those contributions coming in now can straddle both tax years. You'll be doing all of that work now to minimise the work moving forward in 12 months' time. So there has to be a very clear strategy within the business of being very organised and actually knowing which clients are the disorganised ones so that you can keep on top of them and making them aware of the deadline. We've given everyone a deadline of the 15th of March and we've always made clients aware that the deadline was the 15th of March just because... If things go wrong, you know, paperwork, go, you know, as Martin said, paperwork goes missing, the post-COVID happens, you know, the end of the world is like that kind of period. You know, the start of the COVID period was awful because we had total lockdown and it was the end of the tax year and checks arriving, you know, it was, it's just bedlam. The more organised you can be, but it isn't anymore just being busy around March. You're busy all through the year doing the tax planning because we generally do our big tax planning meetings in the September and then we know when we need to be contacting clients and when we're going to be chasing them up for paperwork or cash um, based on their, the planning meetings that we've had with them in the September in the autumn. And what, so what happens after the 15th of March if, if a client comes to you and has a request? Is, is it possible to do anything after that or is that literally there's nothing else you can do? just depends on timescales it just depends on what work we've got in-house at that time as to whether we would then go yes we could do with it or no we can't because there's only so much you can you can ask a client to remind them and let them know and at the end of the day if it's an ISA they're gonna have to put it into a cash ISA and then we're gonna have to do a cash ISA transfer 
because we have to write recommendation letters. And unfortunately, the world we live, we work in, we work in a highly regulated environment. And there is so much paperwork that goes with every single contribution that goes into every single plan. You just have to, you know, think about what the clever things that you can do, shove it into a cash ISA and then we'll pick up on it afterwards. You know, it's and there's not really much you can do because there's only so many admin staff you can have to deal with these inquiries. Paul, do you have any tales of um, headaches with providers? Is there? Is there? I mean, I've I've come across. Um, you know, I think there was an issue with SASIS or SIPs a couple of years ago where things weren't being processed properly or, or quickly enough. There were there were a few backlogs and things that advisors were complaining about. Is there? What's your experience with like deadlines? <laughs> I think with COVID, there was some real issues and some providers took longer than others to to resolve uh, timescales. Um, Touchwood, that seems to have gone away, certainly the providers I deal with. Um, but again, I think that going back to what both are saying, the, the danger is trying to do work where you're just going to run out of time and then it looks you makes you look a bit daft if you don't get it done in time. So it's just managing expectations. As Helen said, um, I've had a couple of cases over over the last few months um, well, last couple of weeks, really, where I've had the discussion around, well, maybe the best route would be to, to fund the cash ISA because we're just not going to get to a position where we can give advice before the 5th of April. Um, going back to what Martin said, and, and um, as weird as it may sound, one of the first things I, I look at probably a couple of months back is, is when's Easter, because as Martin said, we've had a couple of years. And if, I, if my, my memory says right, when we had the uh, the financial, not the main financial crisis, but when we had all the debt crisis in Europe, there was a couple of years where basically it was a load of volatility in the market, tax year approaching, oh, and it was Easter as well. And that can have a massive impact on timescales. Um, so it's just going back to what everyone's saying, really, it's planning ahead, um, mopping up everything you can as soon as you can. Um, but then again, if someone's going to run out of time, at least, you you know, if you use a cash ice allowance, um, at least have used that. Um, but a, a lot of the, you know does come down to providers' timescales as well, which they'll often share, you know, in advance. I'm already seeing a couple of emails flying around for that at the moment. I think the the other thing to bear in mind is that if you're taking on new clients at this time of year, or especially in those last two weeks of the tax year, and you're pulling out all the stops to get all the work done in time, what you're doing is you're actually training that client to think that this is the norm and so that you know thinking about advice to younger clients you know it's or younger advisors you know you have to be as advisors we have to be in control of the process and they you know if you are going to go out of your way to do that work that client has to fully understand that this isn't the norm and we won't be doing it again. Because otherwise, if you don't manage that relationship properly with the client, you've got a nightmare client from the, from the get-go and it's never going to change. Yes, that um, rings very true. Um, but what, what kind of requests come in that late? So is there anything specific that clients want that late in the game? Oh, well, but most of it will be they've had a brief in, they've had a meeting with their accountant. The accountant has told them you've got massive tax liability and then they're panicking. And the accountant said you need to get money put into a pension, get in touch with the financial advisor. And then they're in panic mode. And, you know, they think, you know, I need to do this, I need to do it urgently. Well, yes, you do if you need to reduce the corporation tax. But 
they don't realise that actually it isn't as straightforward as just shoving money into a pension because we need to be doing PIP calcs and everything and the analysis of the existing plans, it potentially is a massive piece of work to take on. But most of that kind of planning is all down to them having the accountant just actually being proactive and giving them a heads up, not post the end of business year, but you know, just beforehand, you do realise you've got a massive problem here with your tax liability. So that's normally what causes it. Right, okay. Um, I mean, let's let's have a look at um at this particular tax year end. Um, the tax burden, as we know, is at its highest in 70 years. We're expecting raised dividend tax, raised national insurance, raised energy bills. How do you mitigate the impacts of all this on your clients, Paul? Uh, I mean, I think it's it's like we've we've already touched on. It's planning ahead, both in terms of you know tax planning is is just planning ahead. Um, so looking at the year you're in, what are the allowances? What haven't you used? What can I use? Um, and looking ahead, you know, what's my tax environment going to be? And 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 you know, how, how do you just take advantage of whatever allowances you've got? Um, sort of anecdotally you know clients can create income from many sources so use your personal allowance obviously if you're in 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 retirement but then you can create income using withdrawals and other things as well so it's making sure you use the right allowances and and sort of one anecdote i've got i've just speaking to a potential new client today i met her last week um circumstances are changing um but she's basically drawing income from a pension paying a bit of tax not a huge amount but she's got an investment portfolio that she's not withdrawing from so she's basically volunteering to pay income tax when we could just create withdrawals from you know so so it's it's little things like that and and another one another potential client i met about a month ago they're not using the marriage allowance and they could and they would benefit from it. So it's the old cliche of, you know, people don't know what they don't know, which is which is our job half the time. But just, just a couple of things like that where I've met two potential new clients uh, and both, you know, there's just very quick wins on, on, on a little, you know, not massive amounts, but just very quick wins around around tax breaks and, and, and increasing tax efficiencies for them. Right, that's good. Um, what are you, what are you focusing on this, this tax year end, Helen? with regards to kind of, you know, forward looking? Yeah, I don't think anything really particularly that different to what um, Paul's talking about there. We've got some clients doing large property renovations. There's a lot of CGT planning between husband and wives going on at the moment and cashing in investment bonds and assigning investment bonds and trying to manipulate or minimise the amount of tax going forward. But certainly with the new tax rule changes going ahead with the new taxes being introduced and you know it's going to um, be applying against dividends on shares but not being applied against other forms of income just generally re-looking at the sources of income for those in retirement to see whether we need to be making those changes but we're seeing because again because of our client bank that we're seeing those tax hikes are having a far bigger impact to what our business owners are going to be paying tax-wise within the companies because it's not just the personal tax liabilities based on what they're drawing, it's then the increase in corporation tax that's going to be coming in as well. So it's a kind of double whammy really working with the accountants. But the other the other bit of the side of the business that or what I specialise in is we do a lot of divorce work. So divorce work, um, there's a um, there's a rule that says that if you if you can transfer assets 
in the year of separation, you can use all of the usual CGT allowances and things. But if you do it after the year of separate, tax year of separation, you can't. And so we generally do a lot of tax planning around that with any with solicitors and looking at what the settlements might look like to look at mitigating the tax further down the line for when we do actually separate the assets properly. Actually, that's interesting. Very interesting. Um, what about you, Martin? Have you got um, a view on this, this tax year and what's to come? And- I think key to all of it this year is educating clients to take a bit of a long-term view on things because you know, we've got a, a perfect storm almost right now. We've got this cost of living crisis, particularly rising energy bills. We've got some tax hits coming along in April and we've got market volatility and potentially with everything going on in the markets with you know, rising interest rates and the Ukraine situation, we've got some volatility and maybe even some you know, more muted returns coming through or even losses but it's having clients step back from what's happening in 2022 and helping them remember the gains they've had over the past two three four five six years and and viewing it in the long term in the overall picture not just this short-term focus because realistically other than using the usual allowances and exemptions there is fairly little you can do right now to mitigate some of the big taxes coming down the down the line Uh, certainly there's very little we can do to mitigate the big uh, cost of living rises coming down and the market volatility so it's it's about the long term for me it's about helping clients stay yeah keep their eye on the prize and remember this is about long-term financial planning not about what happens this year and in isolation yeah absolutely i was was just going to say that's where i think the cash flow modeling really comes into its own with you know working as financial planners that uh, you know you are looking at what that client can afford and actually demonstrating the impact of what that inflation could look like so that you can you know i always say to clients you will never wake up without any money in the bank unless we've already told you to expect to wake up without any money in the bank and that's the benefit of the cash flow modeling is that if you want to carry on spending as you see fit and you're not listening to the advice as the advice of the cash flow modeling really comes into its own and this inflate the inflation at the moment is a perfect time to really be looking at that again with the clients just to make them aware of the impact that this can be having right yeah absolutely um of course there, there is the other thing that's um that's um due this month which is the um the um, spring statement um, and I know it's like really hard to predict any kind of tax changes and there probably won't be any tax changes as such anyway. But what do you expect from a spring budget, um, Martin? Um, we, we're going to get all the usual scaremongering, aren't we? I know it's going to happen. So, you know, tax free cash from pensions will get knocks on the head and we'll see the introduction of a flat rate uh, tax relief on pension contributions, all the usual things that we're, we're scared about before it. It, it, it. I think what I've learned over the last 20 plus years of doing this is it's not really worth trying to predict what the Chancellor's going to come up with because it will be a surprise. And no doubt we'll find out anyway in the sort of week leading up to it because they leak half the stuff to the press these days. So just read the weekend papers before the spring statement and no doubt that'll be most of it with one maybe small surprise during the spring statement itself so we'll see but you know he's he's in a tough position right now he's got a lot of debt to deal with and we've got a rising cost of service in that debt so it's not going to be a particularly fun one we're still a few years out from a general election so i think don't think the politics the sort of the, the electioneering has started yet in terms of the politics of the spring statement so it could be a painful one but um let's try not to get caught too much you know, caught up too much in the uh, the rumor mongering and the scaremongering that takes place fair enough nevertheless helen 
Are you expecting anything from the spring budget? I was going to say, can they just please leave business owners alone? The tax hike that a business owner is going through over the next few years and the cost of living increases is just absolutely shocking. We're being annihilated and obliterated um, from an income perspective. So if they do anything on that, you would think seriously that um, they're really unfairly taxed you know, taxing one section of society. Um, but as Martin said, you know, I, I naively live in the hope that the, he will carry on making all the big announcements in the autumn statement, because there was that promise a few years ago, the big changes would be announced in the autumn statement. And then he seems to have um, pulled back a bit from that. But let's just wait and see. There's not much we can do. All it means is towards the end of the tax year, if he does make any shock announcements, um, or big tax changes, we're all going to be even busier making the seeing how that impacts on our clients leading into the 6th of April. Sounds good. Paul, have you got a view on the um, spring budget? Or spring uh, statement, rather? Not really. Same as Helen and Martin. Um, I'm tired of the number of years where we've heard all the rumours. I remember once uh, a professional body conference where there was about a 30 minute presentation about how the tax rules were going to change the next budget and they didn't. And then, you know, it's just, and, and I think the danger is um, I've met people who have made decisions based on the rumors that have come out, you know, and, and it, it just, and I feel it certainly feels sort of recent history. There's rather than sort of measured tax planning changes, they it seems like they've lurched from one thing to another, um, which doesn't help anybody. Um, so yeah, it, it is what it is, and we see what what gets said. Um, but just the rumours do nothing but harm, I think, um, because you can't do anything about it once it comes in. But people do tend to think they can predict it and often make decisions. I've met people who have made decisions on things that they just shouldn't have done. I mean, that's that's interesting and potentially scary. But um, is there anything you'd like to see in this spring statement? Is there anything that any tax policy at the moment that really makes you nervous that you really don't like? Uh, I'm not about, I'm not sure about nerves. I, I, I just think not, we move away from we never move towards simplicity. And I know there's been there's been work. Is it the Office of Tax Simplification? I can't remember the exact term. There's been work there, and there's been inheritance tax in 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 the sites for a while. And you know, I'm just trying to do some work with someone who's taking redundancy. I, I mentioned him earlier, and we're trying to look at pension funding this tax year versus next year, and and, and the the amount of calculations going back sort of six years to look at uh, carry for, and and you look at think you know it used to be so easy. And now we've got, we went from two regimes to one regime, and now it feels like we've got the worst of all the regimes all all going at the same time. So I think, but the fear is unintended consequences, but simplicity would be great, but it could then blow up in your face, depends on how they make it simple. Uh, but I think going back to not knowing what you don't know, I, I, I struggle to see how people can make their own decisions because it is just a minefield now. So many, so many tripwires and pitfalls. It's just so difficult. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Um, now, Helen, you mentioned VCTs and EASs um, earlier in the chat. And I was just wondering, I, I think, I think, in fact, I remember talking to you, Paul, I think, 10 years ago, when we were talking about VCTs. And I think back then you were really like, this is like too high risk. It's not for us kind of thing. Um, has that changed in the last 10 years? I, I think it's more, I mean... 
it's it's more the regulatory perception and 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 the right clients. Um, so I mean, I've always, I mean, personally speaking, I, I hold a couple of VCTs. Um, uh, you know, but ringing my ears is is the you know the throwaway line. Don't let the tax tail wag the dog and everything. But you know, it's certainly something that you know I, I've I've spoken to a small number of clients about um in the past where it's been the right person with the right capacity for loss right actually to risk etc cetera, etc cetera. um and I, I think you know it's certainly a space you know it always needs to be under consideration for the right people um but again it's, it's clients who who are maybe willing to take the the investment risk in exchange for the, the potential tax returns and do you think helen in terms of vcts we've had quite a few oversubscribed fundraisers by well-known managers though so it kind of almost looks like there might be a little bit of a kind of monopoly kind of starting to form is that is that perception kind of sort of right perception of what's going on in vct space well if you're talking about the one who did the full raise back in october that was actually all the majority of that was filled by one investment so that's actually a bit of a unique situation on that particular case but what certainly happened certainly with the pension rule changes and the government strategy to disincentivize high earners and wealthy clients to actually save for their future. One of the very few places they can carry on investing money, get tax breaks is in PCTs and EISs. And so what you have seen is a mass amount of money going into that into that area from clients who no longer are contributing into pensions or very limited with what, you know, grand year going into pensions you know it's it's pennies for a lot of these clients so you're seeing those kind of clients heavily investing into those assets and so that is certainly driving why the market you know it used to be march is when you were doing that really technical tax planning kind of stuff whereas now it's getting earlier and earlier in the tax year and i just don't think there are certainly at the moment there's enough quality of investments coming through that those VCT managers can actually um, find to make that more available in the first place. So it's just a bit of a, that, that this year is a bit different because of this one big investment, but uh, um, there is a lot of wealth at the moment that is being, you know, that cannot go into your traditional pension type investments. And do I think that's a good thing? No, because, you know, first of all, you know, but people should be incentivized to save. You know, I know that the government are finding it easy to tax high earners, but at the end of the day, high earners are typically high spenders. And, you know, that everyone should be encouraged to save for the future because just because you earn a lot of money, it doesn't mean that you've actually saved anywhere near enough to maintain that really great lifestyle in retirement. And I think that's one of the things, you know, the, the government policies at the moment that I understand why they're doing it, but it just doesn't encourage people to save properly. Um. Right, thank you, um, Martin. Did you ever what, 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 did you ever work with VCTs and EASs when you were still advising? We, we've always been a very, I guess, cautious, vanilla type advisory practice. So um, occasionally, but I'd say they were very much the exception rather than the rule. And Paul mentioned sort of regulatory risk. I mean, for us, it's not so much the fear of the regulator, but now every time we fill in our professional indemnity insurance renewal forms, they're asking about you know, VCTs and EISs, and they they categorise them as high risk investments. 
estimates. So you know, we're having to go and provide an awful lot of data about any we've sold in the past, including their current value, so they can see if there's losses being made. So it, it's clearly on the regulator, uh, on the radar of insurers. I suspect it's something the FCA thinks about too. Um, for, for business risk reasons, it's something we, we're very cautious about. Um, and I think, again, you know, typically our client bank are not the types of clients who have you know, got a need to do that sort of tax planning. They're very comfortable having you know, maximised their ISAs, their pensions, uh, and then any sort of you know, CGT allowances within a general investment account. So we're not needing to go that extra mile and put it into you know, more sort of esoteric tax planning investments. Right. Okay. I mean, going even further into the, um, you know, risk, high risk kind of category. Um, just a final question. It's it's a question I, I feel I can't um, I can't ignore anymore. Even though a lot of advisors don't 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 touch these things with a barge ball. But more and more clients have crypto assets. Are you being approached about crypto assets and crypto asset tax planning? And is this something that you that you have started to kind of do, um, Helen? Um, as a firm, we don't give advice on crypto, and um, that's that. You know, the, I've you know, been in the industry a very long time, and to remember one of the first things I was taught is if you don't understand what the you know the way the investment works then how can you recommend it to the client in the first place and crypto for me i it just isn't something for me that's a stockbroker kind of type investment where you need to be really understanding what's going on under the bonnet you know we are financial planners we're not here to be you know clients don't ask us what our view is on BP shares or HSBC shares or things like that. So why should we then be having a view on whether they think this crypto is a good investment or not? It comes back to good old financial planning. If the client is prepared to invest their money in a high risk, unregulated investment, that if it goes belly up, they walk away with absolutely nothing and they understand that, then you know that's absolutely fine. So if they want my view on it, that's the answer they get, but they're never going to get a view off me as to whether I think that Bitcoin is going to go up, down or sideways. You know, but then the other side of it as well is a lot of our clients are um, eth- not necessarily ethical investors, but very socially conscious. And crypto doesn't sit well with that kind of client bank because you have a lot of you know, allegedly drugs money, you know, laundered money within that world in the first place. So the kind of clients that we're dealing with aren't really, it's not their bag, thankfully. <laughs> Fair enough. Paul, however, I believe you have been approached by a client with crypto. Uh, uh, well, but yeah, I mean, in, in the early days when it was totally new thing, I had a couple of clients come in and, and sort of picking my brains as to what it was about and and a, and a bit like hell and it was well you know it's this and you know i like to look at sort of you know, assets that have intrinsic value and, and things like that so it was very much people just sort of almost asking me do we deal with it and and going back to what Helen said the, the rep- response was similar i do however have a client who who before he became a client uh, had speculated in in in, uh, in crypto at the time of last speaking to him bearing in mind what I think it's done recently. He, he he'd done very well, and 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 he's it was almost like his concerns were how how he extracts his profit and but fear of loss of future gains. So he's like, do I keep? Do I sick or twist? Um, but sort of quite incredibly, he didn't understand how CGT allowances work, 
Um, so he sat on this, this huge gain, unaware of of of, of, of CGT allowances, um, which I thought was quite interesting. So, so yeah, it, it's an interesting one. Uh, and, and going back to what Helen has touched on um, about the sort of the ethical strategy ESG side, I was talking to someone yesterday who, who has, uh, without holding crypto, has 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 been involved in 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 the the structure of that market in some ways. And, and the point he was making was the energy use is is just sky high and. So basically, he, you know, he, he was questioning the long-term viability of it, given that we're moving into trying to move into a lower carbon, you know, greater energy efficiency use. And, and he said it just that just there's a massive conflict there. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting. But I think, you know, echoing Helen's points, um, I certainly wouldn't be recommending anyone invest in it because it's, it's just outside of, of the scope of, of the work I do uh, and what I see as being my remit. Right. What about you, Martin? Have you have you ever kind of come across a client with the assets, the assets themselves? Uh, yeah, absolutely. We've had we've had inquiries from people about it. We've we've had a few clients approach us who have lost a lot of money doing it, like dabbling on their own, speculating on their own. I've spent probably too much time researching crypto because I wanted to understand how it works. I wanted to understand the risks and the benefits, so I could have yeah well informed conversations with clients as they come along and. Uh, my conclusion based on that research is it's a massive Ponzi scheme. It's a scam. It's This is not an investment. This is an illiquid market. It's full of fraudsters. There's minefields everywhere you look. Um, yeah, good for people who have speculated and made a bit of profit and got out at the right time. But actually, for most people who dabble with Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, particularly some of the meme coins and smaller stuff, they are going to lose their shirt. They're going to lose everything. And they're suckers, effectively. And I'm, I'm quite happy to tell clients who come to us uh, that message and, and give it to them straight. Yeah, based on the research I've done, the books I've read, the podcast interviews I've done uh, about the subjects, that yeah, this is a scam. Can can I just add that we have actually, I have noticed that since the start of this year, when we're doing annual reviews with clients, clients are now starting to tell us, oh, I've got, I've, I've invested a thousand in Bitcoin and I've done a thousand in crypto. So it isn't that our clients aren't doing it. It's just that they're just literally, you know, they are literally doing a tiny dabble in it, but it's not something that, you know, as a firm, we are giving advice on at all. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today, but thank you very, very much. Um, it's been really good talking to you. Um, some really, really interesting stories. And thank you for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 